I'm John Bond. Welcome to Move Yourself Happy. Made for fitness enthusiasts who want to make their passion their profession. Are you unhappy in your present job? Are you passionate about health and fitness? Do you want to release your true potential? If the answer is yes, this podcast is for you. I will be teaching you the specific knowledge that every trainer and coach needs to be successful. So listen closely as I share my expertise with you. So just like me, you can love what you do. Welcome back. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about running fitness. And the reason I talk to you about running fitness is because I enjoy running myself, have done for many, many years now. It's a big passion of mine. And a lot of your clients will also share that interest. And as a personal trainer, you are going to get naturally people asking you about running. What are the benefits of running? Do I need to run? How do I do it? How can I get better? Is there anything I need to consider before I just get out there and start running? So this is what I'm going to be covering in today's episode. Let's begin. So question you're going to get asked as a personal trainer is quite often, what are the benefits of running? Well, there's loads of benefits of running. I know running can get a bit of a bad reputation because of injuries that people might experience. But let's be honest, whenever you do anything that involves getting out of your chair and moving, there's risks involved. But I would argue there's much bigger risks staying in that chair and not moving, being sedentary. So let's just focus on the benefits. What are the benefits of running? So, well, first of all, longevity. There's been tons of studies done on this, but one particular study found where it looked at a thousand adults aged 50 and older. And it tracked them over a period of 21 years. And it found at the end of that study, 85% of the runners were still alive. So only 66% of the non-runners were alive. So if you look at that from a statistical point of view, if you run that through some software and look, is there you know, a significant difference between those two groups? There is. So it's, you are statistically more likely to live longer as a regular runner. So longevity, definitely a good benefit to to being to being a runner and running regularly. Now, something I experienced, and I always used to wonder whether this was true, but I can tell you from first-hand experience, if you talk to other regular runners, the runner's high. The runner's high is definitely something you experience. And there's a few reasons for this. If you haven't listened to it go back to my very first podcast episode where i talk about the different hormones that you get you experience when you exercise and one of the ones we get when we run is is endorphins now as a beginner when we go out there we start running often it is quite challenging it's very difficult so you will get a release of endorphins which are natural painkillers to help you overcome the challenge and discomfort of the running now we obviously the fitty are that doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to get those because we always challenge ourselves when we get out there and we go for a run if that's the type of run that you're doing you're going to push yourself and you're going to experience the endorphins from that and that feels good when you get home and you finish your run you'll get that that feeling of of uh, elation really 
Now, don't get confused with people. Sometimes think you get this this high when you're running. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think I've ever occurred it whilst I'm running, and I've been out and enjoyed my runs. So I've been on the downs, and I've looked around, and I've been like, "Yeah, this is good. Life's good. I just feel proud that I can get out and do this. I live in a lovely part of the world, and you know, nature's great. I feel good." But genuinely, it's when you're back home and you go, "Yeah, <laughs> I feel proud of myself for doing that." Now, you're also going to get dopamine. Dopamine is kind of like your accomplishment hormone, really. You've planned to go for a run. You've done your run. You've achieved it. You feel good. And you'll get a dopamine dopamine release. And things like Strava will help with that as well, because you'll get uh, little uh, notifications that tell you, you know, congratulations, you've completed another run. Sometimes if you've done a particular part of your, like in your town or around where you run, more than anybody else has done that week in that area, you become the local legend, <laughs> which is quite nice. Get a little notification saying you're the local legend. Now, serotonin, that's all about kind of self-improvement, really. Again, Strava's brilliant for this because it tracks your PBs. It'll tell you that you're better than the person you were before. And you might have got a PB on a certain segment, certain run, a distance, or whatever, what have you. So that's always good. Love getting those. And then oxytocin, being part of a, a community, a running community. If you join a running community where they remember your name and uh, you know, you've, you're there for one another, cheering each other on, encouraging one another, you're going to get that as well. So definitely lots of happy hormones to come from getting stuck in with your running. Now, the other thing I think is one of the beauties of running is the convenience of it and the cost. So you don't have to, depending on where you live, you don't have to commute anywhere. Like if you join a gym, most people have to commute to get to the gym. But with running, you just go out your front door, don't you? Just put your running shoes on and off you go. So very, very little commute or non, no commute at all. And little equipment, you know, appropriate running attire. And that is it. You know, I talk about things like Strava and Garmin trackers and what have you. You don't need any of that. Don't need any of it at all if you don't want to. You just put your running shoes on and out you go. So little cost. And that is that is a barrier for a lot of people is, you know, they'll say, oh, I would join a gym, but I can't afford to. So try some running. You know, I know running trainings aren't free, but they're, they're, they're not a huge cost. You can get low-cost running shoes, low-cost barefoot running shoes as well. Listen to that episode. So, um, yeah, the the there's a lot more convenience to starting up running as a hobby than many other activities. Vitamin D. Got to love a bit of vitamin D. A lot of people are vitamin D deficient because in the summer, we stay out the sun because we don't want to get burnt. In the winter, there isn't a lot of sun. We stay indoors because you don't get cold. So this, this, this occurs quite a lot. So what you want to do is get outside more and get some of that vitamin D, get the sunshine. Vitamin D is great for immunity. We can't absorb calcium without vitamin D. We need calcium for strong bones. We also need calcium to create movement. And it's also great for lowering depression. So big fan of getting outside and getting some vitamin D. Now, of course, we can't forget calorie burning. Now, when you lie down in bed all day, you'll burn off a certain amount of calories. Yeah, that's true. You can lie in bed all day and you'll still burn off a certain amount of calories because everything inside your body is still operating and uses up energy. 
The moment we sit up, we burn off a few more. We stand up, we burn off a few more. We start walking, we burn off even more. When you start running, you burn off even more. And studies have shown that you can burn up to a thousand calories an hour plus another 37% with what we call EPOC. So EPOC is excess post-oxygen consumption, which basically means it's like the afterburn. When you're recovering from your run, you're still burning up calories as part of the recovery process. So it's actually quite tricky to work out the total calorie expenditure of a good run because typically watches, trackers, they will just track it for that run, but you won't be tracking it afterwards as well. There's extra calories from that too. So lots of calorie, excuse me, lots of calorie burning. Bone density is another benefit. So when we do anything that's weight bearing, we increase the density of our bones. So within your bones, you've got lots of minerals, bone minerals. And when we apply pressure, gravity to either end of the bone, you know, pushes those minerals closer together. We are, um, our bone building cells called osteoblasts will lay down more bone cells. So we get thicker, denser bones. And that is obviously fantastic because if we've got thicker, denser bones, they're stronger, they're less likely to break. And it massively reduces your risk of osteoporosis, which is really common as we get older. And you've got self-efficacy. So this word here, self-efficacy, if you're a sports psychologist, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's your belief in your, your ability to accomplish certain things. It could be to achieve a goal, execute a certain behavior, or even like specific performance attainment. So Anything that you, you you set out to do and you achieve, you'll get a boost in self-efficacy. And the lovely thing about this is it can carry over into other areas of your life. So if you have achieved quite a lot with your running performance, it'll give you that boost in confidence that it makes you think, oh, what if I apply this kind of tenacity and resilience to work? You know, will I get that next promotion? And will I... Will I improve my career, et cetera? So it, it, I'm a strong believer that not just running fitness, but just improving your fitness in general can carry over into other areas of your life and other areas of self-improvement. And that kind of links to the other benefit of is it, it builds resilience and tenacity. So your ability to overcome adversity. So sometimes... You look out the door and you're like, oh, God, do I really want to go for a run today? Look at that weather. And you just do it anyway. You just say to yourself, you know, just get out there, do it. You're going to feel much better for it. You do it and you're right every single time. You never regret it. You feel great. And you're going to experience discomfort and challenge and you're going to push through that. You're going to keep going and you'll you'll reap the benefits because later down the line, you'll see that your times are improving. You're getting leaner your bone density is improving, you're getting all those benefits because you learned to just push through discomfort and, and, and adhere to it, just keep going. And again, I'm a big believer that that tenacity and that resilience that you build in the, you know, you know, the weight room, on the roads, on the hills, will translate into everyday areas of your life. Now, something else people ask me, not 
as specific as about to say this question, but often people ask me like, what are the most important components of running? So if I want to improve my running, what do I need to work on? And uh, you could talk about this for ages, but I think for me, there's three things that you need to focus on. So the first one is improving what we call your VO2 max. So this is how good your body is at getting oxygen in and converting that into energy. So it's how good your heart, lungs and muscles can effectively use that oxygen to produce movement. And we can do that in numerous ways. So I'll talk about some of the training methods later, but essentially just getting out there and, and challenging your your whole system, challenging the heart, challenging the lungs, challenging the muscles, they will get better and your VO2 max will improve as a result of that. So we sometimes think about the VO2 max almost as your engine. If you've got a high VO2 max, you've got a real good engine. Now, I've also got lactate threshold. So this is your ability to subjectively, but also objectively, um, withstand a buildup of lactic acid in your blood. Now, when you've got what we call a high lactate threshold, that means that you can generate quite a lot of lactic acid and your body is able to clear that. We call it like buffering capacity. But when you can clear that lactic acid, that enables you to keep going. Now, some of it is is like your actual, the physiological changes that happen in your body. But then also some of it is you just get used to being uncomfortable. Working at lactate threshold is often described as comfortably hard. It's that intensity where you you can keep going. You just don't particularly want to because it, it will feel challenging. It's just, oh, this is grim, but I can keep going if I have to. That's lactate threshold. And if you stay, if you work at and around lactate threshold, you'll get better at clearing lactate. You'll get used to those feelings of discomfort and you'll be able to exercise or run for longer and faster. Now, what's got running economy, or we could just call that movement economy. And this will relate to whatever sport you do, really, not just running. If you're a swimmer, cyclist, you know, skier doesn't matter there's always a, a more efficient way of moving. And some of that involves technique, just good old fashioned technique. Have you got the correct running mechanics, you know, for, for your for your height, your weight, um, for the way your, you know, your bone structure is, are you running the most efficient way? And actually one very simple way of improving your running economy is getting out and running more because your body will find a way, it will learn with hours or mileage of practice, what is the most efficient way to, to run? And um, another way is actually is, is adjusting your body composition. So improving your body composition to make it more preferable for a runner. So like for myself, the obvious thing for me is, would be to, to ditch more unwanted body fat. So although like, you know, my waist circumference from a health point of view is fine, from an elite performance point of view, it's too high. I'm carrying too much body fat. That's excess weight I've got to carry around with me every time I go for a run. So if I want to improve my running economy, ditch some of that weight um, and, and improve my running mechanics. So when it comes to lactic acid buildup, at any one time, there's going to be 
an amount of lactic acid in your blood. And the more we raise the intensity of what we're doing, the more we start to produce lactic acid. And this is because we have different energy systems. And generally, we like to work what we call aerobically. But as exercise intensity increases, we can't sustain it, can't sustain that energy aerobically. So then we start to bring our lactic acid system. Now, typically, our aerobic threshold, which is where we can continuously exercise predominantly using aerobic system, typically that will occur around 60%. So we can we can work out aerobically, breaking down fats and carbs to produce energy relatively easily up to about 60% of our max. Then as we start to increase intensity, so whether that's running fast or going up a slight gradient, our body will start to utilize our lactic acid system which means we start to produce lactic acid as a byproduct so you'll that that will occur sort of post 60 percent of your max and you'll start to get this rise in blood lactate in your in your blood now when it gets to around 80 to 90 percent of your max most people will then get a sharp rise in blood lactate now what that means is your aerobic system is really struggling to to and meet the demands so your anaerobic system kicks in fully it's like into overdrive now where your anaerobic system is actually doing the majority of the work it's producing most of the energy needed for that 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 exercise because it's so intense now if you listen to this and you're thinking christ what is he talking about <laughs> i don't blame you because it is it, it took my it took me a while to get my head around it but i'll try and simplify it so all you need to think about is when you're exercising up to around 60% of your maximum heart rate, which is probably a kind of social intensity where you can chat whilst exercising, you're, you're working up to around your aerobic threshold. When you start working hard, is it running faster? Conversation is going to get difficult. You're going to start to get heavier breathing. Very, very difficult to get your words out without taking sort of big breaths you're starting to use your anaerobic system as well. When you get to a point where conversation's just not happening and you're now, you're not, you're not enjoying it. It's, it's very challenging. It's very tough. You're not enjoying it anymore. You're probably now at what we call the anaerobic threshold where that, that anaerobic system's kicking in and you're not going to be able to sustain that for much longer. Eventually you're going to have to slow down and stop. So I'm going to come back to why that's important later, but because we have different training techniques that will take advantage of different points on, on that scale. So where we have like aerobic threshold, anaerobic threshold and beyond, different training methods will tap into different zones. But before I talk about that, another question I get asked is what's the difference between speed and endurance? So quite quite simply, speed is all about how quickly you can move all or a part of your body. So if you're talking about running, it's obviously moving your arms and legs, isn't it? As quickly as you can. If you're a boxer, you might just be talking about your hand speed, but it's about quickness of movement. Now, endurance is about how long you can sustain a certain intensity for, you know, what, what sort of period of time and, and how quickly can you recover from that as well? So you could be 
you could have great endurance, but you're not, you might not be very quick. So you need to work on your speed. You could have great speed, but you, you've just fatigue very, very quickly and you don't recover very fast. So it's kind of two, two sides of the coin there, speed and endurance, but you can, you can build both of those simultaneously. So when it comes to training for speed, you're usually looking at two, two areas. You're working on acceleration, so being able to get to your maximum speed or a particular speed very, very quickly. So you often see that in life. You watch the 100 meters, you'll see sprinters that take the lead very quickly, but then eventually they might get overtaken. And that's because they're, they're, their acceleration is, is awesome. They're very good at increasing speed very quickly but perhaps their maximum velocity, which is what I'm going to mention next, is not as high as another runner. So although can, they can accelerate quick, they're not the quickest. So the other thing is to work on building your maximal velocity, so how fast you can run. Now, there's lots of complex, complicated ways of doing this, but there's a very simple way of doing this, and that is practice running. <laughs> so if you want to get good at... If you want to get good at lifting heavy weights, lift heavy weights. If you want to get good at moving quickly, move quickly. It is that simple. Now, there's obviously these other methods. If you want to improve acceleration, you know, you can do things like just practicing the first part of the race, looking at incorporating some stuff in the weight room, like explosiveness, Olympic lifts, that type of thing. And so there are there are other things you can do, but essentially practice running for long periods of time. It's going to build endurance practice running over short distances very, very quickly, and that's going to improve your speed. Now, with, with endurance, it's really, it's all about being able to run further or longer, depending on you know, how you time your, your runs, if you do a distance or you do a time, and being able to recover quickly. If you've got good endurance, you can normally recover quickly in between bouts. So if you're doing something like interval training, People with good levels of endurance will recover quickly in between their their intervals, uh, which is great if you play a sport. If you're a football player, hockey player, netball player, rugby player, that little period where you're walking for a bit to recover, if you can improve that with endurance training, you're going to be able to perform better on, on game day. So I mentioned the energy systems earlier. So I said there's three energy systems, aerobic, lactate, phosphocreatine. Don't think I mentioned that one, actually. So aerobic system is, yeah, all very nice. We can you know, break down fats and carbs. We can actually use protein as well if we need to, to produce energy. Now, once we start increasing intensity, the lactate system kicks in. A byproduct of that, product of that is, is lactate or lactic acid. And that increases acidosis of the muscles, which basically means it, it burns. It feels unpleasant. Now, we've also got our phosphocreatine system, which is what we utilize for very short, high-intensity bouts of exercise. So if you were to jump as hard as you could, if you were to sprint over a very short distance as fast as you can, your phosphocreatine system will produce ATP very, very quickly in order for you to to do that so it, it accesses stored atp and then it regenerates atp from what we call phosphocreatine very very quickly so you can just explode if you need to 
metaphorically, obviously, not literally explode, but you all sprint as quickly as you can or jump as hard as you can or hit as hard as you can. So let's look at heart rate training now and heart rate training zones. Now, this is this this is a really helpful tool for any personal trainer because it's very objective. It's it's not down to just how clients are feeling. It's actually looking at real life data. And I got very good at understanding heart rate zones and heart rate data years ago when I had a job working as a sports scientist for Brighton Hove Albion Football Club. And my job was to look at the players' heart rates during training and after friendlies and sort of determine, A, are they working hard enough, which may be very popular, as you can imagine, but then also looking at the training sessions. And if it, if, if the session was all about improving their fitness, you know, the cardiovascular fitness, was the training hard enough? But then also on the sessions where it was about learning and, you know, technical aspects of, of the game and tactical, were they working too hard? So that's a lot, lot of what I did there. So I got good at looking at these heart rates. So I'm going to simplify things because actually simple is better. This isn't just, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to put this in layman terms. I actually think simple is better anyway. So essentially, we've got five heart rate training zones. We've got zone one, which you could call very light intensity, 50 to 60 percent of your maximum heart rate. And that is going to feel like a nice warming up, cooling down intensity. It might be the intensity that you use to recover in between interval sessions. Going to feel very happy doing this. You can have a nice chat to someone whilst you're doing it. Really easy. Zone two is 60 to 70% of your maximum heart rate. So this is still light intensity. Very good for building endurance. Very good for runners who want to clock up mileage. So if they're going to do like their long, slow distance training, which is like their longest run of the week, you're going to do this in zone two. Zone two training is great. There's an argument to say that for somebody that just wants to work on health, health and longevity, Zone two training is all you need to do, really. Just stick with that all day, every day, all day. <laughs> Don't want to do it all day, but you know what I mean. You can do that every day for a significant period of time and giving you, your body a chance to adapt to, to the length of time it's doing it for. And you, you're going to need very little recovery from it. It's going to be very good for your heart and lungs, good for your bone density. And uh, you can enjoy a nice podcast or listen to an audio book or something while you're doing it. So... Zone two, <coughs> excuse me, zone two is great, underutilized, I'd say. Now, zone three, moderate intensity, seven to eight, 70 to 80% of your max. So conversation is getting a bit trickier now. You still manage it, but, but trickier. Very good for improving your aerobic fitness. We tend to use things like uh, continuous training where you just sort of sit in at a certain intensity or this intensity, and just hold it out for a period of time, often called a steady-state training. Now, it might be that you, your absolute beginner clients, you get them to drop into this zone and back out again just to experience working slightly harder. Then we've got zone four. This is vigorous intensity. So vigorous intensity we mean as in like it's tough, it's challenging, conversation's hard. This is at 80 to 90% of your max now. 
Now, this is great for improving anaerobic and aerobic fitness because you are going to get that elevation in blood lactate as well. So the anaerobic system's working. Typically, interval training is going to be spent here. So if you're going to do some tough intervals, you're going to drop into your zone four for that and above. Um, if you're doing tempo training, so this is where you just kind of sit in that lactate zone, that 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 zone where you feel like it's hard but you can keep going. This is this is zone four. Now zone five is ninety to hundred percent, so ninety to maximal intensity. Very exhausting, very unpleasant. You can't stay here for long. Now this is typically reserved for competition. So if you're doing, you know, game day, fight night, whatever. You'll, you'll go to zone five on those those occasions for sure. If you're doing any kind of maximal cardio testing, you're going to go there on those days. And actually in advanced intervals, you know, some of the interval programs that I used to get the players to at the Albion and I've done for myself and other clients, more advanced clients, you're going to drop into zone five for those intervals. Very good at increasing your VO2 max. So there we go. That's that's a, a very simplified look at the five training zones. But I recommend it, you know, just using zones to train. Watches will, will have it all set up for you when you get them now, you know, fitness trackers. So I do love a bit of heart rate training zone because it doesn't lie. Not really. Um, you know, when you when you ask yourself sometimes, you're like, yeah, that's hard enough because <laughs> you don't want to train any harder. But actually, if you go by what the heart rate is telling you, then it's almost, you know, a guaranteed way of, of improving your fitness levels because you just you just follow the heart rate now i obviously mentioned things like 60 percent of your maximum heart rate 70 percent of your maximum heart rate but you might be listening thinking well i don't know what a maximum heart rate is well you possibly don't so there are different ways of doing this now one of the easiest ways to do it is just to do 220 minus your age now it, it's not bad. It's okay. So if you're if you're 20 years old, 220 minus 20 is 200. So your estimated maximal heart rate is 200. It's not bang on, but it's a good place to start. You know, I start most clients with that equation. It's it works pretty good for most people, but not for everyone. So just bear that in mind. Now another one you can do. It's called the Carvonen formula. So if you don't like maths, skip through this bit. <laughs> um, I dare say there's, there's apps and calculators now that do this for you. But uh, it's, it's basically 220 minus your age minus your resting heart rate. That leaves what's called the heart rate reserve. Then you times that by the percentage of the zone that you want to work in. So let's say I want to work at 60%, 220 minus my age, minus my resting heart rate. That's my heart rate reserve. I now multiply that by 0.6. That's not all of it. <laughs> now the last bit, you then have to add the training heart rate back. So you have to add the resting heart rate back on. And that gives you your training heart rate. Now, why does it need to be so long and complicated? Because what it basically does is it will enable fitter people to train that bit harder than somebody that's just starting out. So an example could be if you're if you're 50 years old and you've got a resting heart rate of 65, 220 minus 50 minus the 65, 
gives you 105. So that's your heart rate reserve. You then multiply that by 60% or 0.6. That, and then add the resting heart rate back on. That gives you 128 beats per minute. Now, if you had a high resting heart rate of like 85, 90, you're, you wouldn't be working out for as high as that. So that's where Carvonin's nice. If you've got some of a low resting heart rate, which generally means they're a bit fitter, it will take that into consideration. Now you could also find out someone's true max by just doing repeated 400 meter sprints and maxing them out. <laughs> bit unpleasant though. Good for your advanced clients. So definitely do that with your advanced clients, but no, really wants to go there, do they? Now, when it comes to planning a run, always ask yourself, what is the purpose of this run? So if you're taking a client out for a run, different runs will have different training effects. So what is the purpose of this run? What do you want this, this run to do for your client? Now, there's, there's quite a few different techniques that you can use. So different, we call them training methods or training techniques. Quite a few different ones you can use for improving running performance. Now, one, one of my favorites is called the easy run. So the easy run is what it says on the tin, really. It's an easy run, and they're underrated. People think, oh, easy run, well, that's not going to do much good for you if it's easy. And you'd hear people going, oh, you know those people that are down the gym, they're just watching TV. Well, that's not doing them any good, is it? And you're like, well, actually, it is. <laughs> um, of course it is. It's better than sitting down doing nothing, isn't it? So they are um, they are exercising, at least, but... When we work out in zones one, two, and three, we, we, they're quite good zones for building what we call a foundation, a good, a good aerobic foundation. So your aerobic system is going to get very, very good at bringing oxygen into the body, turning it into energy. You're going to build, you're going to get a stronger heart. Your heart's going to probably hypertrophy and get thicker and stronger, which is good. Stroke volume will go up. Your you're going to build more capillaries, so you're going to be able to get your carbon dioxide out and your oxygen in more efficiently. So there's quite a few things that go on with that, with the easy runs. And the good thing about easy runs is they don't produce lots of lactate. So you don't have that the DOMS like you get from, from the more intense runs. So you don't need as long to recover. So you can go for an easy run every day, you know, providing you build up to it. You don't take someone from doing nothing to straight into doing um working out every day but if you've got a client you've built up to they could go for an easy run every day they've got threshold training which kind of mentioned earlier so that's all about staying in that zone that's comfortably hard which is zone four zone four vigorous exercise building lactate getting your body used to it you know subjectively used to it but then also physiologically being able to clear that lactate very, very good for just improving that that ability, that buffering capacity. Also, um, also known as tempo training as well. So you ever see tempo training? It's basically threshold training. Then you've got your interval training, and probably you already heard of this because everyone talks about interval training, don't they? But interval training is generally very structured. And if you want to do intervals to their sort of uh, their full capacity, so to their full benefits, you, you really want to build up to this because it's working in zone five. You know, good interval training is dipping into zone five 
and then coming back out again. So zone five is that 90 to 100%, real tough intensity. Amazing at improving VO2 max, really, really good for doing that. And they can vary from different lengths. So it takes a while to get to a point where your body is actually at kind of full VO2 max. So running, I would say intervals need to be at least 90 seconds to two minutes to get a, a decent benefit from it. Um, but you can hold on for even longer. Cruise intervals are like longer intervals. So you know, even five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, 10 minutes, you can do those as long as they're, you know, you're, you're running at high intensity. If you're not capable of holding an interval for beyond 90 seconds, sorry, um, beyond 90, 90% of your max, then build up to that first, take a bit longer, improving your fitness. Uh, right, and then we've got repetition training. Repetition training is, is that, it's, got, it's kind of probably what you already know as sprint training, really. So it's practicing moving quickly. So we do that over much shorter distances, much higher speeds, much longer rest periods. And uh, a typical example might be doing 200 meter sprints, eight of those, but with a three to five minute rest in between. So that improves your acceleration, it improves your maximal velocity, improves your running mechanics. Uh, but it's quite challenging. Even though you have long rests in between, it is challenging. So you probably are going to need to have a rest day following a session like that, or at the very least an easy, a short, easy run. Now, I've also got fartlek training. Now, fartlek training, the word fartlek is Swedish for speed play. And it kind of covers everything that we've already talked about, really, because we're mixing up speeds and intensities. Very, very sporadic. Now, you go for it. You might say, I'm going to go and do 60 minutes of fartlek, and you're just going to mix up the speeds during that session. Do it very much based on, you know, the subjectiveness of it. Like, right, can I push a bit harder? Yes, I can. Let's go harder. Let's back off a bit. Let's go harder again. Let's back off a bit. Different speeds, different durations, different recovery periods. Just mix it up. So an example micro cycle. So micro cycle in strength and conditioning is uh, typically a week, a week of training. So it could be week one. You do intervals on a Monday, Tuesday. You do an easy session. Wednesday, you do some threshold training. Thursday, you do an easy session. Friday off, Saturday intervals, Sunday rest. Then you come back around on Monday and you could just do the same thing again, same week, or you could change it up a little bit. Repetition training on the Monday, so you've got some sprints in there. Easy session on the Tuesday, threshold Wednesday, easy Thursday, rest on the Friday again, intervals on the Saturday, and then an easy run on the Sunday. So what you'll notice there is anything that's a bit challenging is sandwiched in between two easy runs. That's quite a nice way to do things. Now, if you start working with elite runners, I dare say their coaches will have them doing something slightly different. Maybe they will have more you know, sandwiching intervals between a threshold and an easy run. But generally, sandwich stuff between easy runs and it's just going to help with recovery. So there we go. Now, I could talk for even longer on this uh, there's some other bits that i kind of want to talk, want to talk about but i might do that in a separate episode episode because you might be going to sleep by now 
Um, but just to summarise, running is, is is it's great if you you know if you've got two legs and they work, it's a wonderful thing to be able to just get out there and use them. Get the mental health benefits of exercise, but then the physiological benefits and the longevity and the improvement in your quality of life are, are wonderful as well. There we go. Hope you enjoyed that. Enjoy the rest of your day. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, something you can do for me is subscribe to my show. And if you know anyone else that might be interested in this content, then please share it with them too. You can also head over to our socials and follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. But if you're ready to take that next step, visit our website, www.stormfitnessacademy.co.uk, fill out a contact form that'll come straight to me. I will contact you shortly afterwards, and I look forward to speaking to you then.